Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honour you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. As a parent, um, probably one of the most important roles that you've got is to teach your children. And when you think about it, there's a huge amount of stuff that you have to teach them, isn't there? I mean, this is before they get off to school. You need to teach them how to walk, uh, how to eat with cutlery, how to do up their shoelaces, how to ride a bike, and count, and the list just goes on and on. There are heaps of skills that you need to impart to your children as a parent to enable them to live an active and, and productive life. But probably more important than the skills that you teach your children are the attitudes and the values that you will instill in them. I mean, as a parent, we will teach them attitudes about family and work and money. Uh, We'll teach them values like honesty and generosity and respect. They'll be important things that we will want to pass on to our kids. Now, in some ways, that's the feel of the book of Proverbs. It's as if a parent is talking to their children. In fact, that's not just the feel. That is exactly what Proverbs claims to be. Uh, After a brief introduction at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we have these first seven verses that give us an introduction to the book. Then we read this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. 
Proverbs reads like a father who's taken his son by the hand and he's walking him through the world and pointing out the things that he needs to avoid and showing him how it is that he ought to live. Now, I said last week that there's plenty that our world is able to agree with when it comes to looking through the book of Proverbs. And I think uh, one of the reasons for that is that the writer knows that there is a created order to our world. But there's also a moral order to our world. And that also is reasonably obvious to most people most of the time. It's kind of a a universal thing about right and wrong that we deep down seem to know and understand. But Proverbs isn't just based on what we can observe in our world or what we might know kind of instinctively. The book of Proverbs really reflects what it is that God has already told to his people Israel. Proverbs uses this word, Lord, 89 times. That's basically three times for every chapter. And that word, when it's written like that, you see with the small capitals for the O, R and D, whenever you see that in the pages of the Old Testament, it's this word, it's the Yahweh word. I put the Hebrew up there just for Reuben because I think he's the only one in the room who understands Hebrew because I certainly don't. Uh, But whenever you see that word with the small capital letters for O, R, D, that's the Yahweh word. That's the personal name that God gave to his people Israel. So that they could know him personally. Now Proverbs is wanting to to do more than just show us universal principles. It's wanting to give us God's wisdom. Wisdom from Yahweh, the creator of the world. And most of what we read in Proverbs is really just very practical application of the law that God gave to his people Israel. Now what I want to do this morning is look at some attitudes that come up in the book of Proverbs, attitudes that are to be encouraged in our lives and attitudes that are to be discouraged. One of the very prominent attitudes that comes up right the way through the book of Proverbs is honesty. Now, I don't know if you've read Proverbs recently, but I would encourage you to have a read through it. I've been reading through it again in my uh, quiet time in the morning. Uh, But there's a, a strange verse that comes up three times in the book of Proverbs. It comes up first in chapter 11. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favour with him. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights are in his bag, in his, uh, are, sorry, in his, in the bag are of his making. And the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not, do not please him. Now, don't, misunderstand this. It's not as if God's got some hang up about shopkeepers and dodgy scales and nor do I think that the shopkeepers back in Israel's day were any more dodgy than they are today. It's just really one clear example of this wider issue of honesty. And our society agrees wholeheartedly with that. We we want shopkeepers who are going to be honest. We want scales in the butcher shop that are accurate so that when you go in there to get your kilo of mince, you actually do get a kilo of mince. In fact, our society agrees so much with this that our federal government has a thing called the, the Institute of Measures who go around to shops and check the scales to make sure that they are working properly. But those verses are not just about scales. 
As I said, it's an example of a wider issue of being honest in the way that we deal with other people. There's another unusual verse that when you first read it, you might not quite get what it's saying, but this is it. It is no good, it is no good, says the buyer, and then off he goes and boasts about his purchase. Now, this is the person who's gone into the shop, who knows that there is nothing wrong with the product, but wants to see if he can knock $50 off the price because there's a mark on the box here. Nothing wrong with the product itself, but the box is a bit damaged, so we'll see if we can squeeze a few dollars out. And then goes and boasts to his friends that there is nothing wrong with this and I managed to get him to knock 50 bucks off the price. Now, again, don't misunderstand the verse. God's not saying you should never look for a bargain and he's not saying you should never negotiate a price. What Proverbs are saying is be honest and fair in the way that you deal with people. Be an honest seller and an honest buyer. Honest in the shopping centre, honest on the sporting field, honest in the witness stand, honest in the way that you deal with your neighbours. Another attitude that comes up quite strongly through the book of Proverbs is generosity. We saw last week that uh, the poor and the disadvantaged, God has a heart for those people and is concerned for them and expects that his people will be concerned for them as well. Proverbs encourages this general attitude of generosity. Here's a couple of verses. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Uh, a a, A generous will themselves be blessed, for they share food with the poor. God's people should have an attitude of generosity, an attitude that gets encouraged all the more when we reach the pages of the New Testament. We're continually told that we need to be generous because God has been generous to us. I think Australians like to think of themselves as being generous people and to some degree that's probably true. Uh, When it comes to ratings, we kind of do better than many other countries in the world. But I also want to say we've got a lot to be generous with, so we should be more generous than other people. Here are some recent statistics that uh, might surprise you. Weekly spending, average weekly spending per household in this country. Uh, $44 on restaurants and takeaway food. $13 a week on our pets. $29 on personal care. And how much do we give to charities and not-for-profit organisations? Well, the figure is $14 a week. I'm not feeling particularly generous when I see that number. Proverbs says that generosity should be something that marks out God's people. Because we know that God has been generous to us, we should reflect that generosity in our lives. And it's not just generosity with our money, it's generosity with our time, with our home, with all that we have. But there's one attitude that... uh, Proverbs wants to encourage probably above all, and that is teachability. If you want to be wise, if you want to live wise, and if you want to live a wise and godly life, then you need to be teachable. You need to be willing to keep learning and keep changing and keep doing things differently. 
I mean, in a sense, that's the whole point of Proverbs. I know that the older I get, the more I'm stuck in my ways, and it's harder for me to change. But that just means I need to work harder at being teachable. Proverbs says that we should always be ready to learn, to change, to seek to be the people that God wants us to be. Now there's much in Proverbs that is positive, uh, attitudes that are to be encouraged, but there are a few attitudes that are fairly strongly discouraged in the book of Proverbs. One of the topics that comes up a few times in the book is the attitude that we have towards food and drink, and particularly alcohol. I mean, Proverbs condemns gluttony and drunkenness. So here's some verses. Listen, my son, be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Now we need to be really careful here. It's not wine or food itself that is the problem. Proverbs mentions wine a few times in a positive light. And then then there are verses like this in the Psalms, uh, which are very positive about wine. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their heart. Wine is not the problem. It's the attitude that we can have to wine that can become a problem. And it's the overconsumption of wine that is a problem, just as it is with food itself. Food's not the problem, but gluttony is a problem. And we see the same thing in the pages of the New Testament. It's actually interesting, when Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus to talk about the kinds of leaders who should be, impo- who should be appointed in churches, each time he talks about their attitude towards alcohol. Here's a few verses. Now the overseer must be above reproach, not given to drunkenness. Deacons likewise are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. An elder must be blameless, not given to drunkenness. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way that they live and not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. In a country like Australia with the kind of strong drinking culture that we've got, that may not always go down too well, that message. But it ought to be an area where we as Christians are distinctive. There's another attitude that's very strongly criticised throughout the book of Proverbs and comes up kind of an amazing number of times, and that's division and dissension. So here's some of the verses that we find in Proverbs. Hatred stores up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. A a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. And so they go on and on. It's incredible how many times it comes up, isn't it? But I suppose it tells us about the seriousness of the issue. And if you've ever been in a church where there are divisive people, then you know the attitude that the writer of Proverbs is talking about. And you know why he's talking about it repeatedly. And the same thing when we reach the pages of the New Testament. Divisiveness and dissension are really frowned upon. 
and can do great damage within the life of churches. I suppose it comes as no surprise that the attitudes that are encouraged in the book of Proverbs are are the same attitudes that are encouraged in the followers of Jesus. But when we reach the pages of the New Testament, I think the one change that does happen between the book of Proverbs and those who trust in Jesus is your motivation for living a different life. Proverbs says we should be honest because it's the right thing to do and we're answerable to God. Proverbs says that having a good name and a good reputation is something that we should strive for. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. But when we reach the pages of the New Testament, we've got an even greater motivation for living a godly life. We should be seeking to have a good reputation. We should be seeking to be seen as honest, not for our sake, but for the sake of the message about Jesus. Look at a couple of verses with me. 1 Peter, he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And Jesus says the same thing. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. It's no longer your reputation that's the important thing. It's now God's reputation that is the important thing. How you live is going to be a reflection of what it is that you believe. And more than that, how you live is going to be a reflection on God. It's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? People are going to build up their impression of God. They're going to build up their impression of Christianity based on what they see in you, the life that you live, the attitudes that you have, the values that you express. Are you seen as being a a generous person when it comes to money and possessions and time? How would your workmates see you? Or do you have a bit of a reputation of being a bit on the stingy side? Would your workmates or your neighbours or your family or your friends, would they see you as being honest and trustworthy? Or are you perhaps not the first person that they would turn to when they're looking for someone to trust? And what about teachability? Are you one of those people who's really stuck in your ways and unwilling to learn? And what about the attitudes that we shouldn't have in life? What would people see about the way that you handle alcohol? Or are you thought of as being perhaps a divisive person, a critical person? We've got a fantastic reason for developing godly attitudes in our lives because our lives will be a reflection of what it is that we believe. Our lives will be a reflection of the gospel and our lives will be a reflection on Jesus. It's interesting when you travel overseas, people can have a tendency to judge an entire country just by the small handful of people that they've met from that particular country. And the same can be... People will develop a a perception of what Christianity is like just based on the half a dozen people who they know who are Christians. 
They'll make an assessment about Jesus based on the Christians that they've met. Now that may sound like a a lot of pressure on your shoulders, but I think we should see that as a great privilege, a great opportunity that the way that you and I live and act can lead people to see Jesus more clearly, can lead people, as Proverbs says, to glorify God. We can live in a way that will point people toward the truth of Jesus and help them to know who Jesus is.